All right. I think that's probably close to being everybody. So I'll start us off with a word of prayer and then we'll dive into the lesson. Uh, Father in heaven, God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the great wisdom and goodness and knowledge and decrees that you have made and We just thank you for the chance to come here and to study who you are, to learn who you are, to experience who you are, God. I just thank you so much for this privilege to uh, be able to do this together. And we just pray that this would be a fruitful hour and that a lot of benefit would come from it, God, as we seek to understand the mysteries and some of the more difficult things in the Bible, Lord. Um, We pray that you'd give us wisdom and we also pray that you'd give us a lot of patience and love and clarity and as we work through these things God and I pray this all in Jesus name amen good morning everybody so I'm very thankful to Prashant who is I think behind the screen I'm very thankful to him for last week stepping in while I was away he uh, filled in with the first lesson I needed Ephesians 1 I don't know how many of you were here but This is kind of one of the go-to texts as far as talking about the decrees of God. So you've already gotten kind of a primer on that and gotten into talking about the decrees of God. So this morning we're continuing on. Uh, So we've finished question 8 and 9 of the Catechism. And now we're moving into question 10 and 11. And this is regarding the decrees of God. So each week what we want to do here is we want to be reviewing the question and answer as we read through the catechism, and then we'll be dealing with, I'm setting up the class in such a way that we're going to deal with a different kind of problem or a different issue or difficulty that arises in relation to these questions, okay? So that is going to be nice because in one sense, it's going to help us to build as we go along on what we've learned the previous week, but at the same time, it's going to allow us to deal with a specific specific problem or specific perspective in each lesson so that means if you happen to miss a lesson it's not like you've completely missed out you can join for one class and it's going to be a unit in and of itself and it's going to make sense because it's going to be set up in that way Um, so yeah we'll be able to enjoy learning that way together and so this may go without saying but I feel like I need to repeat it at the beginning every time if you have a question or you don't understand which is very much guaranteed to happen given the topic you're welcome to ask a question. Raise your hand, uh, chip in, ask and participate. Um, I can guarantee you on this topic, you're also not going to be the only one who had that difficulty or that, the only one who had that question. And so uh, being able to open up and have more discussion on it is going to be helpful for everyone. And so on that note, um, I want to say one other thing before we start. So we're all on a different level as far as our understanding of these types of things our understanding of the catechism and our understanding of the bible in general and so i want us to be aware before we start this series that this is one of the more difficult things i've repeated it several times it's a complex matter it is um, something that in our human experience and in our christian understanding is just difficult to understand it's a difficult topic the decrees of god so i do not want any of you to be discouraged I don't want you to feel like this is too complicated or anything like that. I want you to be encouraged that you're growing and that you're learning and that you're understanding these new things. And 
If you happen to come upon something that you don't understand, which again is something that's definitely going to happen, then uh, I just want us to realize like this, this topic is dealing with kind of the fringes or the outskirts of what we're able to understand as humans. Okay, So this is right along what God has kind of set as the boundaries for our understanding. And so if you happen to be confused or struggle with something on this topic, then it's probably a good topic to be in that position in, right? So, um, but that said, it's my goal to try to explain this, to uncover it, to put it forth in such a way that it's simple, but still deep. I want it to be honest and truthful to what the scripture teaches, but at the same time, still simple enough that it can encourage us in our faith and we can all grow and learn together. So, um, yeah, I will need some grace probably in this because it's not an easy topic, but uh, that's my objective. And so you guys will need to give me some grace for that. But um, yeah, I just want you to know off the outset, don't be too worried about if you don't know or understand every single little jot and tittle of this. Um, what, you, what we want to do is we want to push ourselves to expand, to grow, and to learn more, and to hopefully be edified by it all. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, there are lots of things in life that we need to be okay with saying, I don't know, or I, I don't understand that, or I'm struggling with that. And that's kind of part of growing as a person. That's kind of part of us uh, being in this position. So, yeah, now we go on to the next one. Seth? Thanks. So let's quickly uh, begin by reading the questions about the decrees of God together by just answering them. So what are the decrees of God? Question 10. Read it together with me. The decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And how does God execute His decrees? God executes His decrees in the works of creation and providence. So this morning's lesson, what we're going to be doing is we're going to first go through a little bit of an introduction and a foundation for the whole series. I want to introduce the topic, just kind of get our minds thinking about it, maybe just even familiarize ourselves with these two questions and answers a little bit better. And then after that, I want to do a brief biblical uh, introduction or a biblical proof almost for what this teaching is and just show you that this isn't just something that a bunch of guys made up. This is something that's grounded in the Bible. So uh, most importantly, I want you to see at the end of today that this is a biblical idea. These doctrines are difficult, but they are biblical. So that, so uh, we want to know that God has, has ordained all things that come to pass. And also, um, at the end of the day, we realize we need to submit to Him. We need to submit to His Word. We need to submit to God's opinion. So that's why at the end of the day, I want the Bible to be speaking about this topic and um, our own opinions, our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, things like that should come into alignment with what the Bible teaches, not the other way around, right? We should not align the Bible to our own thoughts or feelings or desires or opinions. We should, uh, we should let the Bible be the one that shapes us. So, yeah, so when we talk about what are the decrees of God, let's, let's break down this topic or let's break down question 10 into its constituent parts and and let's first begin by repeating the question. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So a decree, as we understand it, 
is here denoted, first of all, as, one, as God's purpose. Okay, so it's a purpose. So we might have a difficulty understanding what a decree is in our modern context. A good way to think of it would be in the old days, an, an earthly king would write down a decree of what he wanted to come to pass in his kingdom. And obviously that analogy kind of falls short because obviously when an earthly king writes a decree, some things happen from his decree and some things don't because he doesn't know everything. He doesn't order everything. He's not sovereignly in control of everything. But God has a purpose or another way to think of it is a plan. And his plan always happens. His purpose always comes to pass. So that's the first thing to understand. Point one there is that God's purposes, so his eternal purpose, right? So what's the other key word there in that first aspect is eternal. So eternal purpose. It's not just a purpose. It's an eternal purpose. So this means that God made this purpose or this plan not sometime along during time because he's not even inside of time. He's not bound by time. God made his plan and his purpose for how the world would be and how the world would exist in eternity. He made it in eternity with himself, in himself. He made this purpose and this plan. And so that's the second thing. And the third thing we see is that this all took place according to the counsel of his will. You see there? Eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will. So this means that it's according to his will. So it's a... Why do you think, so why do we think that the, the writers of this catechism put this in there? Well, it's such, an, it's such an important line, right? It's such an important line because what this says to us is that we realize that we are serving a very intentional, a precise God who from eternity has known and planned and chosen for things to be the way that they are. Okay, so we do not serve, this, this line is so important because we don't serve just a, a general force, you know? We don't, like a lot of religions in the world, they serve kind of like a God force or a God um, energy. This is kind of a popular way of thinking about God in our day and age, right? You meet some people, maybe they're religious or spiritual, but not religious. They believe God is the universe or God is a force, something like that. They don't believe that God is a God who's very precise, who makes willing actions, willing choices, right? So it's important to think, God, according to the counsel of His will, decreed all things that came to pass, right? It's not just a general, vague um, concept of what God is. God is a personal God who wills things. And so now we go to to the fourth point. Well, what is the reason? This is really the key to getting it. Like, if, you, if, if you're struggling, this is the key to understanding all this stuff that's difficult for our minds to wrap our, our um, understanding around, so to speak. Because the reason that God did all of this, the reason that God does everything He does, is ultimately for His own glory. So the reason God ordered the whole universe, the whole world, according to the counsel of His will... It's for His own glory. It's such a critical line in there again. If you miss that line, you're really going to struggle to understand this whole idea of the decrees of God, the biblical teaching of God's order and His control over the universe. And so then lastly, this decree, or the decrees, it says here as a plural, but but it's it's not really like God decreed a bunch of things plural. He basically, everything in God is one. God is perfect. God is eternal. So you could also call it the decree of God. So in one voice, he decrees everything. And so basically when God is working, 
When God has uh, eternally foreordained by the counsel of His will everything that comes to pass, that includes literally everything. So literally includes every single thing. There's nothing that God that there's nothing that can occur that's outside of God's understanding or that's beyond His grasp. Right? This again is such a critical line that they've added in here in the Catechism. Whatsoever comes to pass, that includes all things. It's all encompassing. And this question, this part of the, of the catechism answer is also where a lot of the modern or the even historical controversy comes in, right? Because this is where people start to wrestle with, okay, well, um, if there's evil and suffering in the world, did God decree that too? So that'll be one of our studies for one of the weeks when we're here. We're going to go through that. We're going to study about evil and suffering. Or if God decreed all things, how does that relate to human freedom? Human will, right? So this, when it comes to everything is included in God's decree, starts to become where the kind of wrestling, the grappling, the difficulty comes in. And that's what I was warning you about at the beginning, is this is where it starts to stretch our limited human minds tremendously and makes it kind of difficult. Hey, guys. Good morning. Um, Yeah, so and things like that. So, yeah, next one there. So this would be another, this is just another definition I found that's helpful. It adds a little bit more even, fills in a little bit more to what the catechism was saying. So I'm going to read through it once and then I'll kind of break it down again. And and you'll see how the truths and the concepts from the catechism that we just went through will also be uh, pertinent and, and relevant in this case. So the decrees of God are the eternal, volitional, all-wise, sovereign, and immutable purpose of God concerning all and every matter, comprehending both the time and the manner in which these matters will occur. This is from a, you could almost consider him a Dutch Puritan, Wilhelmus Abrockel is his name. So you can have fun saying his name as well. Um, But, so we understand what is eternal, right? Uh, this relates to his purpose from, from all of eternity, like we talked about in the catechism question, just the previous slide over. And then volitional. This is a word that maybe we don't all understand. Can somebody tell me what volitional means? Or what it has to do with in the previous uh, catechism question? It's voluntary, it's not... Yeah, yeah. So it has to do with the fact that it's according to the counsel of his will, remember? It's a God who makes... What's that? Yeah, it comes from within himself. It's volitional. It's his own choice. It's his own prerogative to do with, with his creation, with his decree, whatever he wills. So that you can see how that kind of helps color in that, that topic of the catechism, how, how Barakal's adding in a little bit here. Now he says, all wise. Right? He says, all wise, sovereign, and immutable. So first of all, what does immutable mean? Yeah, so immutable is unchanging. You can think of it this way. You know the word impossible? Impossible means not possible. And you know the word mutant? A mutant catfish has like all kinds of extra things changing on it. Okay, so then it's immutable is not changing. Okay, so a catfish that's mutating is changing, not changing. Immutable. Now you hopefully won't ever forget. (laughs) So he's all-wise, sovereign, and immutable. And in the way that he, uh, in the way that he decrees, in his purpose, that's the way a Barakal says this, and this is important, right? Because we talked about 
This question or this reality of who God is and how amazing and big and different from us He is, is is a big reason why people doubt Him or question Him or attack Him or refuse to worship Him. Right? But here, Abraco makes very clear, he says, even in light of our confusion, even in light of any mental uh, or spiritual difficulty we might have inside of ourselves, the amazing thing is that God is still all-wise. He's all-wise. He's immutable. He doesn't change. So He's not making up His mind as He goes along, like somebody does something bad and then He changes His mind. He doesn't change. And He's sovereign, which means He can control all things and He's involved in all things. And don't worry. This is, this is again, I told you this is going to be difficult. This is just the first class. And so there's going to be a whole class on the fact that God is immutable or that God is all-wise and sovereign in light of evil and suffering and our freedom and things of that nature. And these are, these are mysterious things. These are difficult things. These are things that all people at all times have wondered about, have wrestled about. And if anyone ever comes up to you and says, this isn't difficult, this is super easy. I never worried about this. Or I'm a philosopher and I've solved the problem completely and there's no mystery in it. You can tell that guy, no, you're wrong. <laughs> okay, so... So, that, so, and then at the end of Abrakel's quote, he says, Concerning all and every matter, comprehending both the time and the manner in which these matters will occur. So we understand here, this is even more specific than what the catechism was. Remember it said, whatsoever comes to pass? So the decrees of God includes, it, it, can, it includes all and every matter, comprehending both the time and the manner in which these matters will occur. So yeah, he's just kind of filling in that picture and making it even, um, even more full for us. And so question 10, that's the one we just looked at, has to do with God's plan and his purpose before the creation of the world. And question 11 has to do with how God puts that plan and that purpose into action or how it unfolds in space and time. Okay, so God made this decree, He made this purpose, He made this plan, and it's been with Him in eternity forever, right? And now, question 11 is, how does that become, how does that become reality? How is that going to be enacted by God? And so, how does God execute His decrees? So as God executes His decrees in the works of creation and the works of providence. So you think, before God can, you know, sovereignly, according to his decree, work in the life of Tony, he first has to create a Tony. Or he has to create a world in which that can take place. Or he has to create time in which he can act. Right? All those things are things that he creates. And so that is why it says, according to creation. So he, he, he executes his decree according to creation. In the work of creation. Okay? So... He, in line with his purpose and plan, brings everything into creation, first of all. And then, by his providence, that's the second word, that's the way that God orders and governs that which he created. So that's the way that he is actively at work and moving and involved in his creation. He's not detached from his creation. He's in his creation, providentially uh, involved in and, and, uh, and ordering everything and governing it according to his decree. So I want you to know that in this, in this um, Sunday School series, we're going to basically be focusing a lot more on question 10 than on question 11. Though we'll, we'll involve question 11 a bunch, and it's, and it's obvious that they're, 
they're two things that have to be bound together. But we're just going to spend a lot, a little bit more attention on question ten because there's a whole other section in the in the catechism later on that talks all about creation, and it talks all about providence. So here we're just focusing in on the decrees of God, and like I said, it's it, they're intertwined, interchangeable, and so you can always just realize that they're going to be they're both going to be very involved. But maybe we'll put a little heavier focus on question ten. So. Now we kind of get to the good part, which is to find the biblical proof of this doctrine, because that's what you've all been wondering, right? We've been saying all these big and uh, difficult things at times uh, about God and about uh, these doctrines according to His decrees, and so now it's important that we dive into the Scriptures and actually understand what's going on. So let's look at that and let's study these Scriptures together. We're going to look up a few passages that prove that I'm not just making this up, that this is not my own opinion or the catechism writer's opinion. We really need to prove, we need to be able to prove from Scripture that God really truly has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. That He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And this is quite a bold statement. Right? It's a bold claim. After all, given the, the experiences each and every one of us have lived in this world, we've experienced pain, we've experienced suffering, we've experienced uh, all kinds of decisions we've had to make, all these different things that seem like they're almost even in our control at times. So it's a very bold claim, and we need to be able to prove from Scripture that that's the case. And the best way to set ourselves up for success in studying this topic is obviously going to be to prove, to prove it from Scripture and then submit to whatever we find there. And so this morning, I'm not going to go into a crazy amount of depth, maybe, in each and every one of these passages, but we can... If you want to discuss it or bring up a question or bring up a, a, a little concern or a thought about it, feel free. But we're just going to go through this list of passages and then we're just going to familiarize ourselves with these facts that prove the basis of this catechism's teaching. So, yeah, this is not also not an exhaustive list. This is not every example in the Bible of where it shows that God has foreordained whatever comes to pass and that it's eternal. But... This is a good list. I think these are some really good ones that we can go to. And even if at the end, if we have time, somebody thinks of one that isn't on here, please chip in with that as well. So I'm going to give, I'm just going to assign Bible verses to people and then you guys find them. And then when we want you to read it, you just read it. Okay. So uh, Catherine, can you look up Psalm 139 verse 16? And Tony, can you look up Isaiah 14 verse 24? And other Tony, can you look up Isaiah 46, verse 8 to 10? And uh, let's see, Lori, can you look up Acts 2.23? And Prashant, can you look up Acts 4.28? And John, can you look up Acts 15.18? And uh, Richard, can you look up Romans 8.28? Who have I not picked yet? Jason, can you look up Ephesians 1? And uh, Richard, can you look up other Richard? Sorry, that Richard. That Richard is the Romans 8. That, I think. Was that Romans 8? Richard Jackson, go Ephesians 2.10. All right. So get those verses ready. And for the rest, we can just listen and consider what God has, uh, has said in his word about this topic. So can somebody read Psalm 139, verse 16? Whoever found it? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed before 
Yeah, so as yet there were none of the days that I would exist, but yet those days were written in a book in eternity by God. That's pretty, like, I mean, that's a pretty good verse to show that God is seeing all this ahead of time. He's not only seeing it as foreknowledge, but he's actually planned it. He knows your days and he's and he's directing your steps and he's in control in that respect. And so Isaiah 14, 24, read nice and loud so everyone can hear. Yeah, I mean, I don't even feel like I need to add anything. <laughs> like, it's just that it's just it will be as God has decided it will be. It will take place as God has decided it will take place. That all makes a lot of sense, you know. Given that Isaiah is a prophetic book, God has given Isaiah a, a, a prophecy and given him an insight into the future things, and God knows those things before they ever come to pass. And this is another example, right? He, he planned all those things in advance. He knows. So Isaiah 46, 8 to 10. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from, the ancient, and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. So remember it said that the decrees of God are God's eternal purpose. There it just said, I will accomplish all my purpose. And not only that, he knows the end. Who else can say that other than the triune God who decreed all things in eternity past according to the counsel of his will? Who else can say that about himself? Who can say they know the end from the beginning? And I don't even know the end of today. I don't, and any, and any God that's less than that God isn't really God because he doesn't know the end of today either. But I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. But God knows the end. He knows where this whole thing is going, which is really encouraging, actually, if you think about it. He knows this world is headed towards an eternal rest, an eternal restoration. He knows the end from the beginning. Why? Why does he know the end from the beginning? Because he planned it. He purposed it. It's in accordance with his decree. Now turn to Acts 2.23, or whoever had that one. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of God. Yes, it can't be any more clear. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God is what caused Jesus Christ to be crucified at the hands of sinners. This is an amazing verse for multiple reasons because A, it proves that God made a definite plan and had foreknowledge of what was going to take place in accordance with our doctrine here. But not only that, it also proves that in God's decree, sinful human actions are included. So sinful humans beat up and tortured the Son of God and in that moment fulfilled the decree that God had already decreed from, from all eternity to take place. And again, this is... Too much for us to dive into today. But there's going to be a whole lesson on that topic about evil and suffering in light of God's decree. But this is such a cool verse in that respect, right? Because Jesus Christ, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, was physically and evilly harmed 
And that's all in line with God's decree. It's not something outside of it. God, didn't, God wasn't surprised that they did it. He didn't feel like that was something outside of what he had ordained or planned. No, it was, it was written in his decree. So Acts 15, 18. Oh, did we? Sorry. Did we already do 428? Sorry, 428. Let's do 428. To do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. Right. So, sorry. Speaking about Herod, Pontius Pilate, and the people of Israel. Yeah, so it's the same kind of idea. It's, it's uh, referring to that same the thing that evil and the suffering that was to take place in the crucifixion of Christ. And there it is. Whatever his hand, God's hand and foreknowledge had predestined to take place. So again, we don't have to dive in too deeply into each one of these, but I just want to show you there's so much in Scripture about this. Can you uh, read Acts 15, 18, please? Next person. Who did I give? Did I give Acts 15, 18 to somebody? Oh, yeah. Okay. That have been known for ages. Yeah, so that have been known for ages. Um, can somebody, sorry, I kind of didn't, uh, let me look up again the context of that. Mm-hmm. We can actually um, move on to the next one first. Let's read Romans 8.28. So, and that's kind of the famous one, but it's very helpful. Um, the the verse that um, Acts fifteen eighteen, at least the one that I was quoting from New King James, was known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. So it's very simply stated: known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. That includes. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That includes the creation of the world. That includes each and every one of our salvations. It includes all those things. At the end of the day, that all is supposed to bring glory to God. And then we, uh, we've already looked at this in Ephesians 1 with Prashant. But one of you guys looked up Ephesians 1, right? Yeah, hold on, hold on. Don't read the whole thing. Ephesians 1 verse 4. <laughs> verse 4. Sorry, read just verse 4 first. My bad. Ready? I'm ready. According as he has chosen us in him for the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Mm-hmm. How about verse 9? Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Again, it's, it's, the, it's the language directly from the catechism there, right? It's the exact same. Uh, just 11. plain. Yeah, in verse 11, please. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Right, it's direct language, straight translated into the catechism. And according to the counsel of his will. And it's all in accordance with his purpose and his predestination that all these things come to pass. And so I think it's very clear from these passages to agree with the confession that God is foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Now, that doesn't mean that all of your 
questions are answered or your reservations are solved or any difficulties have been resolved, especially in light of human experience, by the way, which was conveniently, today was a funny morning for me because I was about to come here and I was already late and then I like had my tie like this and I was brushing my teeth and then my tie fell in the sink and got all wet and then I had to untie my tie take it off, and as I was about to put on my new tie and fix my collar, I lifted up my elbow and my wife walked past and I hit her by accident with my elbow. And all of that, evidently, was part of God's decree. (laughs) But I don't know, maybe for the purpose of using it here. So the point being, I don't understand that. We don't have to understand every little moving part of God's decree. Understand why did my tie fall in the water? You'd drive yourself insane living like that. You don't have to understand that. But what you do need to do is you surrender to the God who does understand that. Thankfully, my wife's fine. She did not get hurt. But it was like, she was like, what the? <laughs> so, so it happens, right? Things like that come to pass. But we know from Scripture that God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, even if we in our little limited sense cannot fully grasp that. So we know that at the end of the day, if the Scripture says it, then it is the way it is, whether we like it or not. Whether our feeble minds and our human hearts can handle it or not. The Christian heart is a heart that realizes the fault that lies not in the Bible, but in our own perception of things. Not with God, but in our sinful, distorted, limited understanding of things. That's where the problem lies. So if God says He's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass then what I want us to do, and I want each of us to wrestle with and submit to the fact that we need to do what He says. We need to actually submit to His Word, right? And so, just one last slide as we wrap up in closing this. I want, us to rem- I want to remind us again as we delve into this topic of this important reality that um, as we go through this Sunday School series, um, it's going to be very uh, difficult at times and we are going to have to remember that we are limited and God's ways are infinitely higher than our ways. We are limited and God's ways are infinitely higher than our ways. That's actually going to give us the freedom and the humility with which to study this properly, to do it in a way that honors Him, to do it in a way that that can lead us into worship, to lead us into submission to Him as opposed to leading us into uh, having a swollen head full of pride or having a, a heart that disagrees with God and argues with God. So this is a very deep and difficult, uh, mysterious topic. It's intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually difficult, and it's wrestling with all kinds of complex realities. But we need to understand in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11, it says, No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So that no one excludes you and me. We do not fully comprehend all the thoughts of God. Only the Spirit of God. In Deuteronomy 29.29 it says, The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things, the things that God wants us to know, those belong to us and to our children forever. In Isaiah 55 verse 8-9 to it reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So important as we dive into this topic, right? To just have this as our reality and as our awareness that there's things we're just not going to be able to understand. There's limits to this as humans. 
So we seek to know what God has revealed. We don't seek to know more than that. And we should not seek to know less than that. We should, know, we should seek to know exactly where and when the boundaries are and how much we should be able to know and what belongs to us. And at the end of the day, we submit to that amount of knowledge, to that amount that God has revealed to us. And I want to close with this helpful quote from Thomas Boston. It says, It is our duty to look to God's commands and not to His decrees, to our own duty and not to His purposes. The decrees of God are a vast ocean into which many possibly have curiously pried to their own horror and despair. But few or none have ever pried into them to their own profit and satisfaction. So you understand what he's saying there. He's saying, don't try it. You, you should want to study them. You should be free to study the topic of the decrees and understand what God does and does not require of you and wants you to know about. But the minute you start saying, I know why X suffering took place and happened to me like a month ago or a year ago or whatever. Or I know why I'm going through this horrible, difficult time right now. Or I know something that you shouldn't say that you know the answer to necessarily. It's not to say that God in hindsight can't reveal to us and encourage us that He's providentially and in His decree worked something wonderful in our life. But it's not our job to sit there all day long and try to play God. Right? It's not our job to mull around in His decree and try to play God because we won't do that to our own profit and satisfaction, like Boston says. It's mostly going to lead you to horror and despair. When you start playing God and you start thinking you can figure out what He's decreed for your life, that can be an overwhelming and just miserable experience. But instead, what I want to encourage us to do is look to Christ, look to God as He's revealed Himself, as, as in those verses, and we're going to enjoy this time studying God's decrees together. And it's, going to, and it's going to push us, but it's going to be fruitful, I hope. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. And so let's, uh, let's wrap up with a word of prayer. Uh, Richard Jackson, do you mind praying for us? Great God, our Father, Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for um, decreeing that we would be here today to hear your word to open up the scriptures and to learn more about um, just understanding the, the glorious works that you've uh, created and done for uh, for us and for your glory. Mm -hmm. I pray, Father, that you would give us the ability to heed uh, Thomas Boston's quote, uh, that we would understand what you've given us to understand and, and leave uh, what we are not given to understand to us to use. Mm. And we would trust you in that, and we would know that the promise of uh, Romans eight twenty eight is true, uh, even if we don't understand how or why. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for this this um, study, and we pray that it will be profitable for us and glorifying for you. And we pray that this hour to come will be the same. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all.